Well, good morning. If, uh, if you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open uh, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, that's where we'll be spending our time in just a few minutes. It's been a, a good day. It's going to be uh, continuing to be good. I'm excited about what's coming next. Uh, I'm excited about the uh, getting to uh, just transition from a, a period where we worship together to we, where we enter into uh, another one of the quote-unquote sacraments. And we get, to, uh, we get to experience a wedding ceremony together. I think that's going to be a great encouragement to, uh, to Tom and Millie. And I know, they're, uh, I know they're looking forward to this day. If I were going to make the understatement of the year, this is what it would be. Yes or no? Life is troubling. Am I right? How many of us, within the past week have dealt with something troubling. Just show of hands. Just about every hand in the room is up. Okay, if it's not been in the last week, how many of us have dealt with something troubling in the last month? Hands up. Okay, good. And if it hasn't been in the last month, let's just say in 2019, if you've dealt with something troubling, that should have gotten everybody 100%. If it did not... Uh, congratulations to you. Uh, life is probably passing you by and you don't know it. Uh, so ask your neighbor uh, if, uh, if anything troubling has happened to you. They might be able to help you out with that. But the truth is, and, and, and while that is, I mean, I mean, that's a Captain Obvious statement right there. Life, life is full of troubles. There's all kinds of things that trouble us. Uh, we have troubles with our career. We have troubles in our relationships, uh, whether those be you know work relationships or community relationships, or whether it be a relationship uh, between significant others. And we have trouble in our relationships with our with our children, with our parents. You know, it's just we have those kinds of things. Not only that, life tends to hit pretty hard, does it not? I was away on Wednesday night speaking in a, uh, in a summer series over in uh, Dothan, Alabama. And the, uh, the, the topic was follow me. And it was talking about discipleship. And I chose for my topic to speak from Revelation chapter 2, which is where Jesus is addressing seven churches in Asia Minor over chapters 2 and 3. And I went with the second church, uh, which is the church at Smyrna, who lived in a great town, big city, very dedicated to the Roman Empire, loved being Romans. They were the city that, that was known as the city that was dead and came back to life because it had been destroyed. And then Rome came in and kind of rebuilt it back for them and that's why they were so dedicated to Rome so much so that they got to build the uh, the first temple to the goddess Roma but in that letter in that address 
from Jesus to the church at Smyrna, he tells them that life is troubling, that life is difficult. He even says that Satan is about to test some of you, about to throw some of you into prison for a period of of 10 days. And he says, I know that you're struggling. I know that you're suffering. But he says, be faithful even to the point of death. Continue to be faithful. And in doing so, you'll receive a, a, a crown of life or a crown of, of righteousness. So this idea of life being troubling, it's not a new thing. It's something that's been going on and on and on for years and years and years. And the reason that life is so troubling is because we live in a world that is broken, right? The world is absolutely broken. What broke the world? Us, okay, right? We are the ones that broke the world with sin. When mankind decided to do things mankind's way instead of God's way, sin entered the world. Okay? And, and Romans talks about that, that centered, sin entered the world through the man Adam. And when that happened, sin brought death. Death spread to everybody. Okay? And so now we live in this world where we're subject to sickness, we're subject to disease and to, to pain and to hurt and to strife and anger and, and injustice and all of these things. We live in a world that is broken. And that's troubling, is it not? Life can indeed be very, very, very troubling. And the question is, where do we turn in the midst of life's troubles. A lot of us, we try to deal with those things ourselves, right? I've tried to deal with the troubles of life on my own before, and guess what? It never works out the way I think it's going to. I've also tried dealing with the troubles of life by turning to Jesus, and guess what? Still, sometimes it doesn't turn out the way that I want it to. Okay, Because life is troubling, but the message to the Smyrna church is the same to us. No matter what troubles you, remain faithful. Remain faithful even to the point of death. As we get into John chapter 14 today, we're going to see that there's a lot of trouble going on, that the disciples, their minds are are completely troubled. As a matter of fact, as you start reading there in in verse 1, the first verse, Jesus is taking this head on. He says, don't let your hearts be, what? Troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In essence, what he is saying is the same thing that he would say later to John in the book of Revelation, remain faithful. Believe in God, believe in me. Remain faithful to 
to me. Remain faithful to God. Hold on. It's going to get better. Now then, we could easily, at this point, move through the next five verses all the way down to John 14, 6, which is where the next I am statement is. But I think if we do so, then we're missing a whole lot about why he made that statement. Okay? And so we have to back up a little bit. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, I don't know about you, but in my mind, there's a question that needs to be answered, and it's this. Why would Jesus tell them not to be troubled? Okay? What's the reason for this? I mean, you know, Jesus didn't speak in chapters and verses like the way we read the Bible. And so, you know, it's easy to just, well, just start in 14 and go forward and not understand why everybody had all this stuff going on. For us to truly understand it and to truly know what was troubling the apostles, we have to go back into chapter 13. Chapter 13, beginning in chapter 13, verse 1, going all the way into chapter 16, verse 31, you have this block of teaching from Jesus that is known as the farewell discourse or the upper room discourse. And what it is, is it's the last bit of teaching that Jesus is going to give before the crucifixion. When you get to John chapter 13, it is Thursday night of the last week of Jesus' life. It is the last night that He is going to spend with His disciples. And so they are gathered together. And they are celebrating the Passover. The very last Passover feast that Jesus would eat, they're celebrating right now. So in 13, they're gathered together. They have, they have, they have broken bread. And in 13.1... It says that Jesus knew the hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He now loved them to the end. And if you know the story, then you know what Jesus does. He gets up after supper, and He takes a bowl with water, and He takes a towel, and He goes around to each of the apostles... And he begins to wash their feet. And, you know, washing feet is a nasty job. Okay? I don't want to wash anybody's feet in 2019, much less 2,000 years ago. Right? Today, we live in the height of footwear technology. We're at the apex right now. Okay? We have, like, socks that wick away sweat. We have insoles that, that, that pull away moisture and are supposed to contain odors so that our feet don't smell horrible. And guess what? They still stink, right? If you don't believe so, pick up one of your kid's shoes. They smell terrible, okay? Now imagine what that was like in Jesus' day in a place that was a lot dirtier 
than where we live now. Where they didn't bathe every day, all the time. And they walked most of everywhere they went. And the shoes that they wore were not closed-toed shoes like we wear, but they were open-toed shoes or you went barefoot. Okay? And it's really, really, really dusty there. And so feet were absolutely filthy by the end of the day. Now, if you had any kind of money, you would have somebody at your house who was the foot washer. Okay? That's a servant position. Now then, we think foot washer, that's such a humble position. Well, yeah, it's humble. It's humble for a reason. It's because that's like entry-level servant job right there. Okay? You apply to be a servant, you got no other skill, guess what? You can be the foot washer guy. You can be the foot washer girl. Okay? That's where you start, which means when people come in the house, you get down on your hands and knees, you get a bowl, you get a rag, and you scrub the dirt, the toe jam, the camel dung, whatever else is on those feet, you wash that off. Okay? And this is how Jesus chooses to show His love to His disciples. What a powerful example. He could have stood up and told them how much He loved them. He could have done this great thing for them. Instead, He humbled Himself, like Paul talks about in Philippians 2, taking on what? The form of a servant. And He gets down on His hands and knees and He washes these guys' nasty, old, dirty feet. And you know what Jesus is going to do. He's eventually going to say, hey, you know what I just did? You guys go do that for each other. So he's working through them, working through them, working through them. He comes to Peter, and of course you know how Peter is. Peter always uh, talks before he uses his brain. And he says, no, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And I get that because we would probably be like that too. Jesus, what are you doing? You shouldn't be washing feet. Jesus says, look, Peter, unless you let me do this, you don't have any you don't have any part with me because what Peter doesn't know is Jesus is fixing to say, because you've got to go do this too. And if you don't let me do this, you don't have any part with me. Of course, Peter says, well, then just watch everything. My hands, my head, my feet, get it all. I want to be completely clean. And so he does this. He washed their feet. He asked him, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. And that's right, since I am. So if I am your teacher, if I, your teacher, have washed your feet, guess what? You get to go wash other people's feet. Even in his last night on earth, okay, he is... He is hours away from the crucifixion. In His last night on earth, Jesus' most important thing to do is to continue to teach His disciples. These guys that He's going to leave in charge of starting everything. Of starting the church. 
these bumbling buffoons who just seem to not understand who he is at every single turn. And so he takes this last night to give them some of his most important teaching, and he does it by demonstrating his love. The idea being, you want to really love somebody? Serve somebody. And don't just serve in a high capacity. You know, don't serve in a way that's going to bring you glory. Think about what's the most humbling way that you can serve somebody. This is how Jesus went about it. And so he washes, he washes their feet. He says a couple other things. And you get down to verse 22. He's explained the foot washing. In verse 21, rather, says, When Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit. And he testified, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And of course, you know how that story goes, too. Oh, it's not I, not me, Rabbi. Surely not I. And it goes kind of all around the room. And Jesus says, you know, the one who puts his hand in the bowl with me does it. Of course, it's Judas that, that does. Okay, and it's, it's Judas that is revealed to be the one that is going to betray Jesus. Now then, think about this. These guys would have known the prophecy, would have known that Jesus was going to be turned over if they believe He's the Son of God. They expect that somebody is going to betray Him, but now they've just found out that that betrayer is in their midst. One of the twelve, one of the closest people to Jesus is the betrayer. Now then, watch what happens. Jesus replied, verse 26, He's the one that I give the piece of bread to after I dipped it. When he, ha- when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. Verse 27, After Jesus ate, or excuse me, after Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, What you're doing, do quickly. What you're doing, get on with it. And so Jesus gets up and he, uh, Judas gets up and he leaves. Verse 31 says, when he had left, meaning Judas, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified with him. In other words, what he's saying is, look, now that he's out of here, we got to get down to some serious business because we don't have a lot of time. And he says, look, I'm only going to be here with you just a little bit longer. I don't have a long time left with you. Okay, And where I'm going right now Guess what? You can't come. You've got to stay here. So here is what I need you to do. Here's a brand new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. How did he love them? He loved by serving. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the pattern. Everything that's just happened in, in, the, in the previous Part of 13, that is the pattern that Jesus left for us as his followers to enact. Okay? It's so easy to have a church that does not serve, right? 
You know what I think a church that doesn't serve is? A social club. That's a stinging remark, but that's it. If we are a church that does not serve and does not serve one another and does not serve outside of our walls, then we're just gathering for what? Yeah, I mean, we can worship, but are we really showing people the fullest extent of our love? No, we're not. Jesus did not call us to just gather on Sunday mornings and just sing songs and just pass plates and just put money in the offering. Jesus called us to something higher. And if we are going to be His followers, we must serve. Amen? So we have to look for ways to serve. I mean, it's so important that Jesus didn't focus on anything else on the last night of His life. He focused on this. Here's what love looks like. Go and do it. Go and go and serve others. Verse 36. Lord Simon Peter said to him, where are you, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But you will follow later. What Jesus is saying is, I'm fixing to go to the cross. You can't go right now, but one day, Peter, you're going to go to your own cross. Okay, he is speaking of the death. He's speaking of the death that Peter is going to die. And of course, as you are probably aware, tradition tells us, church tradition tells us that Peter was crucified, just like Jesus was. Okay? With one exception, Peter felt that he was unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus did, so he requested to be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in such a manner as as Jesus. So when he says this, where I'm going right now, you can't come, but you're eventually going to go there, he is telling Peter, even though Peter is not going to get it, and Jesus kind of is, is vague about it right here. He's saying, you can't come right now, but one day you will. Verse, and in verse 37, this is Peter all over. Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life to you. The other gospels record him saying, even if everybody else turns away. If everybody else fails you, Lord, I will not. I will, I will die for you. And Jesus' response is, Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? I mean, is that what you think? That, that you're going to lay down your life for me? No. Before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Jesus says to them, don't be troubled. Everything we just looked at are the reasons why they were troubled. First, 
Judas has been identified as the one who is going to betray Jesus to the authorities that are fixing to come and arrest him, take him through all these trials that are illegal. The Jewish trials are illegal because they happen through the night and they're not supposed to be doing that, but they do it and they shuffle him back and forth between Roman and Jewish authorities and finally he ends up before Pilate and he's condemned to the cross. The second reason is that Peter, the the mouthpiece, has been told, hey, Peter, you're not going to die for me. And while you think you're going to stay with me, you're going to be the one who denies me, not one time, but three times before the rooster comes up. Three times you're going to deny me. And then the most troubling thing for them is that Jesus was leaving. For three years, for three years, they have followed Jesus. He has been everything to them. He's called them. He's trained them. He has gifted them. He has commissioned and sent them out and told them to go preach and to go heal, and to do miracles, and to drive out demons, and to raise the dead, and do all of these things for the sake of the kingdom. He's taught them how to live. He's taught them how to pray. He's taught them how to give. He's taught them how to serve. He is everything to them. And now he's saying, hey, look, I'm not going to be here with you. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing to leave. I've only got a little bit of time with you. That's why, you know, Jesus is reading the room. And that's why he makes that statement in verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. With everything, with Judas, don't be troubled by it. Peter, yeah, you're going to deny me. Don't let that trouble you. I'm leaving Don't let that trouble you. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What Jesus is really saying is, look, don't worry about this. We've got it. Thomas, I am the way. I am am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father or no one comes to the place where I'm going except through me. You want to get to where I'm going, you got to go through me. You want to get to God, you got to go through me. That's That's how you get there. Of course, he goes on and he tells them a few more things. He says, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. And he gets down to close to the end, around verse 15. And he says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another Counselor, to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. 
The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. What he is saying is, look, I'm going to go away. But I'm going to talk to, to my father about this. And I'm going to ask him to send somebody else. Somebody who will be with you always. I am not going to be here on earth with you always. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the, the pneuma, the Spirit of God will be with you always. They had a lot to be troubled about, don't you think? When Jesus tells them, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, he's making a a statement that is kind of controversial. But what he is saying is, look, if you want to get to God, I'm it. I'm the way. I'm the ticket. There's no other way. There's no buying your way in. Okay? Your money's not going to save you. There's no earning your way in. There's not enough good deeds that you can do. It's not just about being nice, and it's not just about being a good person. It's about being a follower of Jesus. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. So as we get down here to the, to the second to last I am, by the way, in the next I am, he's making on the same night, okay? Because all the way up to, I think about the middle of chapter 18, from 13 to 18 is all that Thursday night where he's with the disciples and he's giving them this, this last bit of teaching in this farewell discourse, But we ask again, who is Jesus? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life who is with us in our times of trouble. We will have trouble, right? I mean, we've already acknowledged that we do. Some of us are living in times of trouble right now, this very moment that we sit in this room together. Some of us have turmoil that is going on inside of our families, outside of our families, with our jobs, with our finances, with our homes, in our relationships. Some of us are are, are, are just, we're drowning in trouble. But Jesus is the way out. He's the way. He's the truth. He is is the life. And you see, as the way, Jesus is the path to the Father. There's no other way. Jesus is the path to the Father. Like I said, there's no buying our way in. There's no earning our way in. There's no being nice enough, good enough, good deeds, all of that stuff. The way to the Father is confess that Jesus is Lord. 
and turn your life to him. That's a controversial statement even to this day. But this is what Jesus said. I am the way. And so as the way, he is the path to the Father. As the truth, he is the reality of God's promises to us. The promise of God that he would send his son. The promise of God that he would send a redeemer. One who would reconcile and set things right. The one who would bring about the tyranny of evil and usher in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the truth. And as the life, Jesus joins his divine life to ours both now and eternally. So just like we talked about last week, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, we too, when we experience and give our lives to Jesus, Jesus joins his life to ours both now and forever. We become children of God. We become part of of that kingdom. And this is what it means when Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, there's a lot of... uh, a lot of superhero stories that are in vogue right now, right? Seems like every other month there's a new superhero movie that comes out. Whether it's Iron Man or Spider-Man or Wonder Woman, or Captain Marvel, whoever else. They just keep coming about, keep coming about, keep coming about, keep coming about. And in all of those stories, there is this element of evil, because you wouldn't need superheroes if there were not evil, right? But there's this element of evil, this tyranny that's trying to take over the world, is trying to condemn, is trying to oppress, trying to do all of these things. And so these superheroes, they show up and what? They avenge everybody. Or at least they, they try to. And sometimes... Sometimes, sometimes they die, okay, trying to protect the people that they care about. Other times they kill the villain who is trying to kill everybody else. But you want to know something that's really cool? The gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only story where the hero dies for the villain too. Have you ever thought about that? Who's the villain? I'm the villain. You're the villain. Anytime we choose a path that is not the way of Jesus... We become the villain. We become the ones that stand opposed to Jesus. That become the ones who are opposed to to God's kingdom and to God's will. 
Jesus shows us a better way. He says, if you want people to know who you are, love them. If you want to be great, humble yourself and serve somebody. That's the way, that's the truth, and that's the life that Jesus offers to every single one of us.